When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. the gates and ready to go hot mic with under with throw underway on this thursday edition live from sixth and peabody with eha beer and old smoky moonshine glad you're with us if that's on our live youtube stream you can join chad in the chat subscribe while you're there catch all the shows uh, as they air and on demand just by searching out outkick chat while you can everyone find Let's us do there. it absolutely Let's find us it uh, outkick.com as well Let's might go. as well we might as well gotta live life in the moment hutton that's what i always say gotta live life in the moment that's what we're going to do with today's show. We will. Uh, Trey Wallace will join us from Outkick.com. Uh, our senior college football reporter will be on with us in 20 minutes. So much to discuss, uh, including Pat Fitzgerald, which we will dive into in a moment, uh, plus some big matchups across college football this coming weekend. Armando Salguero, each and every Thursday in our number two. Uh, we talk all things National Football League. And Ryan Leaf is in the mix in our three. Big show today. Huge show. They're and- all big, right? They're all big, but not only that, it's the weekend. We've officially declared Thursday the start of the weekend during football season. So happy weekend, everyone. Let's get after it together. Let's bang some hats. This is going to be a fun show. Jonathan Taylor may be banging some hats this weekend. Uh, Maybe. That's where we start on our top headlines of the day with Scorched Earth uh, here on Hot Mile with Hutton Withrow. Um, He's committed. Quote, if somebody wasn't committed, they wouldn't be here. I'm here. That from the Colts running back who had demanded to trade, wants to be paid. Uh, Back in May and June, said whatever he returned for training camp, he was going to be 100% healthy and ready to go. And, of course, he ends up on the physically unable to perform list, misses the first four weeks of the season. They play the Titans in a divisional matchup this weekend and disgruntled and not happy with the type of money running backs are receiving across the league. He wants a bump in pay. He wants an extension on his contract. The Colts hold all of the cards here because they can still franchise tag him twice. He's going into the final year of his contract prior to that uh, final year where he could get the tag, and he's making a little over $4 million. He's been rehabbing at the facility, and now he's been elevated to the active roster. They have 21 days to make him officially a 53-man roster member, but all, uh, based on the reports, he's been a full participant in practice, and they need some help behind a rookie quarterback behind that offensive line. Chad, to me, though, this is posturing. This is optics. I get the sense that no one was calling for Jonathan Taylor a second go-around because, number one, is he healthy? He's on the Colts' PUP. You want something in return. We need to know, is he coming in and is he ready to go? That's number one. Number two, you don't want to trade for a player that's going to be as disgruntled where you are as where he is and based on the timing got the trade deadline coming up on the 31st is Taylor committed that doesn't feel like to me the quote that says yeah he's he's all in and he's back and ready to roll committed in that tone seems to me to be I'm committed I'm here I'm playing by the rules that are set forth by the CBA and if you trade for me I'm going to produce 
Yeah, I, am I, I reading too much between the no, lines? No, I, I don't. I don't think so. It's an interesting theory that this is all just a setup, and he's really not going to do anything. Um, I, I just, I'm fascinated by all of this noise and all of these things said by everyone, including Jim Irsay, and yeah. things said by him that that pissed off Jonathan Taylor and his entire camp, and how it'd be inappropriate to go back and do this and that. And Jonathan Taylor's out. He wants to be traded. He's not going to play again. And then to come back with this sort of whimper in a press conference and are you committed to the team, Jonathan? Well, I'm here, aren't I? If I wouldn't, I wouldn't be committed, I'm not. It's so weird. Uh, we're just going to ignore the fact that you're out on the Colts, you're out on the organization, you wanted to get paid, and now you're back and no one's really saying anything about it, but also what could they say if they wanted to say something? I just find the whole situation to be very uncomfortable, quite frankly. Maybe he goes back and he just decides to swallow his pride and be a complete pro and he immediately starts helping out this rookie quarterback in this Colts team that, oh, by the way, right now sits 2-2 two and two yep. and tied atop the AFC South through four weeks because everyone is 2-2 two and two in the division. Is all that going to happen? I, I, if it does, good for the Colts, bad for Jonathan Taylor. And it's, and a, all it's, of this. it's another business move here by the Colts. They, they have forced his hand with the 21-day period, and they've done it prior. It, that will expire prior to the trade deadline that comes up on October 31st on Halloween. So uh, if you want to be here, here's the, here's the roster spot. We're ready to go. You're healthy. And if you don't, well, you've got the opportunity to seek a trade, but we want compensation for that. And, and if you don't play after the 21-day period, well, we can put you on a different list and you're not going to get paid. That's the, that's the other option with this. And he either plays for the Colts or he somehow works out a trade where compensation is what the Colts are looking for in return. And the first round return, I don't think they're going to get. No, not at all. Uh, what team would be the one that is both feeling like they're firmly in contention that really needs a running back well, that would be willing to give up a lot for Jonathan Taylor right now? And, and, while, and keep this in mind, too. He can say he's committed to the Colts for the rest of the season and he'll revisit the contract in the offseason. I will believe that whenever we see the trade deadline come and go. He can still play for the Colts for a couple of games and then get shipped off to wherever he wants to land. But you also need this, the other team involved here. And right now, the teams that are heavy run don't suffer from big-time injuries at that position yet. But they could. Yeah, I mean, is Sunday's game like a debutante ball uh, that they're going to present Jonathan Taylor to the rest of the league? And he's going to try to give it a go and show that he's healthy and, and good still and then immediately get traded. It's just a very – the word I keep coming back to is uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable marriage of star running back and NFL team. And one side wanted the star player. Right. But he wanted him to honor his contract and stop bitching about everything. And then he wasn't going to do that, and he stuck strong, stayed strong when every other running back just went back in and played for their team and understood they weren't going to get what they wanted. Now he's just going to play in week five? I Again, more power to the Indianapolis Colts if they get a 100% invested Jonathan Taylor. That helps that offense right away. But the whole thing is uncomfortable. It is. And, and if there's a slight injury and he says he can't play, well, then we go back to what J.C. Treader hinted at in the offseason. Chad, uh, coming up, we'll, we'll get into more college football notes, including what's going on at North Carolina in the NCAA with Tez Walker. Uh, Jamal Adams, uh, Monday night, 
went at the red hat on the sideline. Not, not the red hat that controls the timing of the game for the networks, but the independent neurologist who's on the sideline. And there's another one in the booth. And this is uh, someone that's appointed in a, a joint decision and approval through the NFL and the NFLPA. Uh, Adams took a knee to the helmet and is going off on the independent neurologist that's there just to see the symptoms of a concussion. And he could be suspended. He certainly fined. And it's, uh, it's video of, of, of a player wanting to go back in the game that's upset on the rules and regulations set forth for the safety of all players. But it's also just based on the, oh, are you woozy or not? And it's an optics thing first and foremost when you're pulled based on the new guidelines that were created and set forth after they revised what happened with Tua for the policy a year ago. Two very different leadership styles is what I'm seeing here between Jamal Adams and Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson yeah. is medically cleared to play a game, to lead his football team as the quarterback. Kevin Stefanski wants America to know that he was medically cleared to play, but it's all ultimately on Deshaun to know if he's good or okay, if he's good or not. What does Deshaun Watson decide? Ah, his shoulder's a little, little rusty. I'm not going to go out there and give it a go today. Meanwhile, Matthew Stafford's walking around with half a hip and playing a game. Burrow. Burrow's out there. By the way, may not be needing to play. He might be hurting his team at this point, looking terrible, but also hurt. Deshaun Watson opts not to play. Here's Jamal Adams taking a knee from Daniel Jones to the head early in the game, and he's ready to go after an independent neurologist on the sideline to demand that he be allowed to play in the football game. If I'm a Seahawks fan, I absolutely freaking love this guy, and I love this response that he is so pissed off for greatness that he has to get back in the game, that he's actually screaming at a doctor that is on the sideline there to help protect, protect him. Love that attitude. Love how much he wants to play. You can't do this. You cannot physically and while yelling go after an independent doctor on the sideline who has ruled you out for the game because of concussion. Well, Can't do it. You can't, but Chad, and I don't like name dropping or whatever, but I, I have seen this more times than you would expect being on the sidelines for drop. years in the NFL. Like th this is, this is at the forefront of knowing who's wearing the red hat. Like you've always seen them on, but you didn't really know what they were doing. And based on the Tua issues a year ago, then that came to light. Like, Oh, here's the protocol. Here's what they're following. Here's who's doing what on the sideline versus what they're spotting in the booth. And, uh, prior to the concussion protocols in place during the games, this wouldn't even have been an issue because the players don't protect themselves. You have to protect the player from the player. Well, then prior to the adjusted guidelines, you would have players lobbying with team physicians and medical personnel and neurologists to get back in the game. They would just This would happen in the blue tent that goes up. Yeah. This isn't happening on the sideline next to the bench. They pop the tent up. And you can't see the argument that's going on. You can hear it if you walk by. And I think the NFL is also pleased behind the scenes with this. Not with the optics of Adams going at the doctor, but the fact that here's the decision. Here's the protocol and the guideline that's in place. You can lobby and cuss and rant all you want, but we're protecting you from yourself. And that's what the NFL wants to happen in that instance. Instead of the lobbying and the... 
the pitch behind the scenes that I'm okay, I'm going back in, it's just a stinger. You know, I'm numb in my shoulder right now and my neck. It's not a concussion. Yeah, look, I, I love it as a fan of the sport and as a fan of competitive people. You want that in your in from a player a on your coach favorite team. And you're a teammate, you love this yeah, from Jamal Adams. You love you this do. guy's design. And take the language out of it or him who he went after, any of that. It's his desire that he is showing with his words and on his face yeah. to play the game, to get back in the football game and to not be taken out of it, that he wants to help and he wants to compete. Any coach out there would love that. Any teammate loves it. And I would much rather have that than Deshaun Watson in his decision if I'm a teammate or a coach, to be very clear. Yeah. I, I'll also, I can also understand where if you're the NFL, you're saying – this has been put on the sideline. There was a lot of high-profile instance a year ago with Tua Tungavailoa, and we got to be better with our, our third-party independent doctors on the sideline. We're trying to be better. We're trying to help you help yourself and not get in a bad situation. So give us a little bit of grace here, and you can't on television on Monday Night Football be going after those doctors. I, I understand where the NFL is coming from with yeah, that. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I, what I'm saying is I understand all sides on this. And I, if I'm a Seahawks fan, thank you, Jamal Adams, when I'm watching this video. Thank you for showing that, hey, pro athletes do care and yeah. do want to compete and do want to play Who for their paycheck. Who are getting paid at the highest rate. Yeah, yeah, they want to play for that check. They want to help their teammates. I love that spirit from him. If I'm, if I'm a Seahawks fan, if I'm a football fan, which I am, I love that from Jamal Adams. Seahawks fans love Russell Wilson. Uh, Teammates in the locker room apparently did not, uh, including Marshawn Lynch, who had this to say about his former quarterback uh, making some runs at Super Bowl championships with, of course, Lynch in the backfield and joined Shannon Sharp on Club Shay Shay to discuss the relationship with Russ. Look, man, I'm going to tell you straight up. I'm, I'm, I'm not the – I wouldn't be the, the, the right person to, to speak on their relationship because – you feel what I'm saying? So you didn't mess with who? With Pete. Uh-huh. And then I mean, you know, Russ was like just a quarterback for me. Right. You know what I mean, you know, I I'll, I'll, I'll take Russ and I'll put him right there at quarterback and I'll rock with him. Right. Because I have done that. Right. But I mean, you know, as far as anything else, it's like it, there's y'all no, didn't have a relationship outside of football. No, nah, there's no. I mean, it can't right. pick up the phone and and and, and call oh right. boy or nothing. Right. And then I mean, you know, what you mean you couldn't pick up the phone? I mean. I, I don't got his numbers. Oh. Now, Marshawn Lynch is cut from a different cloth, right? Like, he's, he's straightforward, and he's, he's Marshawn. But this isn't the first time we've heard players behind the scenes being like, what, what's this guy doing, Russell Wilson? He's got his own office. He wants a special treatment for being the star quarterback. Not saying that, that divas don't exist at multiple positions, especially at quarterback. But having your own office is that strange. Going through the mechanics of a play call by yourself with headphones on, where you're going through and having a, an imaginary game, that's also a bit bizarre that you don't see from anyone else. And you can tell, I, 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 Chad, Marshawn Lynch is saying what everyone behind the scenes was saying in that locker room. Yeah, if Marshawn Lynch doesn't have his number, who does? No, and I don't know that it's... Um... I remember Real Sports had a piece on Russell Wilson that got into some of this while he was still with the Seahawks uh, about how kind of distant he can seem to people that's around him, that's the closest to him at times. Um, I, I didn't sense any 
you're right, Marshawn Lynch, he, he, he wears his truth on his sleeve at no all times. I didn't sense a lot of animosity or that he's upset about it or anything. He was just stating a fact that, hey, I like playing with a guy. We were cool on the field together, but there's no relationship there. Yeah. I don't even have his number, which is crazy to think about. This is Is that the case in Denver is what I immediately think? I, I, I think absolutely. And I think but, probably some of the results show that. Yeah, and, and Sean Payton, to his credit, tried to flip the coin to the other side with that. You know, getting rid of his office. Not, not even that. Just like the persona. You know, stop being the the social media or the you know the the camera behind in front of the camera person and worry about being in the huddle type thing. I'm paraphrasing, but he tried to flip the script a bit on whatever was going on with Hackett when Russell got there. It's it's weird, man, because you don't I, I don't hear many players that come out and say like they've everyone's got stories of playing with Brady or Manning or. Where are the Russell Wilson stories? And there are like good that? stories about yeah. playing with those guys. Yeah, and there were great moments in Seattle. Yeah, great moments, but not endearing moments to teammates. That's that's obvious. It's like a one man corporation, Russell Wilson. Coming up, college football discussion, the top headlines, and the biggest matchup for the weekend. Trey Wallace will join us next. Glad you're with us. Six of the Peabody are located with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Got some great matchups in college football. We'll discuss with Trey Wallace on Hot Mike. And Chad, some great news involving Tez Walker, the UNC wide receiver who was deemed ineligible, is now eligible. The NCAA reversing that decision. He can now play for the Tar Heels after new information was received from the school. This is through uh, Ross Dellinger. So the quote from the NCAA is, it is unfortunate that UNC failed to provide this important information previously. While we must be careful not to compromise the student-athlete's right to privacy when it comes to sensitive issues, we want to assure the D1 membership and everyone watching how the new transfer rules are applied, that this meets the new transfer waiver standards. UNC's behavior and decision to wage a public relations campaign is inappropriate and outside the bounds of the process UNC's own staff supported. Had the UNC staff not behaved in this fashion and submitted this info weeks ago, this entire unfortunate episode could have been avoided. Trey Wallace from Outkick joins us right now. Trey, no one does bitter better than the NCAA. They took a chance to double down for a second time and say, how dare you? How dare you, Mac Brown, challenge our authority on this? It is your fault and all, all yours, not ours, that Tez Walker wasn't eligible immediately. What do you think about this? Right on par for the NCAA. Good afternoon, guys. Hey. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it does feel right. I will say, now I was, I've been texting back and forth with some folks involved in ACC matters and whatnot. And, and there was, you know, like one or two pieces of information that North Carolina could have sent the NCAA that, you know, and, and the NCAA's mind, I could have moved it faster. You know, I was told it really didn't what make it, a difference. Is it mental health related? What is it? it well, I, it came from a previous, one of his previous schools in regards to medical information. Yeah. That's probably as far as I want to go with it. But, you know, North Carolina had it. They just didn't think they needed to turn it over. Maybe is the best way to put it. Like, they thought they had their case. You know what I mean? So then they turn over. There's more information. The NCAA is like, okay, this is our out. You're cleared. You can go play. 
So it, it just, you know, in the fact that they wanted to go after Mac Brown and the president at North Carolina and whatnot for, for saying what they did. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't really blame them. I mean, you, you look at it across the country, you know, and I, and I, I found I found something interesting. We I was in Boulder and I was covering Colorado and I was covering USC and there's one player on there and I think people around here would know it, Juwan Mitchell, linebacker, used to play for Texas, used to play for Tennessee. You know something that stood out to me was he played at both of those schools after coming from junior college. Then he went to Arizona State. He got kicked off the team a week into fall camp back in August, and then he ends up on Colorado's campus, able to play a week later. So it's like, if that kind of thing can happen, why wouldn't Tez Walker be eligible to play? You know what I mean? Like, and that's just yeah. one instance of, of transfers and whatnot. So, you know, I, I think, you know, in, in the back of my mind, um, and, and somebody else kind of mentioned this to me today, was this the NCAA's way of kind of quietly suspending Tez Walker and then allowing him to play? Possibly, but they did it the, the completely wrong way. So let's stick with some NCAA news, Trey. A new rule coming down about not being able to have professional photo shoots done on unofficial visits. You wrote about this at OutKick.com. We all kind of laughed this off as, you know, what else that's so minute can the NCAA get involved with? But you're writing about this from the school's perspective and how much this helps them. This is massive. For, for for football programs, basketball programs, soccer programs, you name it. Content creators on college campuses now, um, this is – there were parties going on yesterday when this happened. And, and I talked to multiple people in multiple universities about this. And the biggest thing is, guys, you know, one, one Power 5 school that I, I spoke with, they have three full-time members for the football team. And, and I'm talking about videos – photos, game day stuff, recruiting stuff, everything, those three full-time guys. And then you have some student workers to help out. But what a lot of people don't know is those little videos that you watch on Sunday mornings, you know, that that recap the win, uh, you know, if you lose, you probably don't see a video, but recapping a win and the, all the great editorial that you see, those come from the same people that are up till two o'clock in the morning working with recruits on photo shoots inside the building or are sitting on their couch at home, you know, editing up, you know, uh, whether it be a photo shoot, a video shoot, whatnot, you name it. So this is a very big deal. You have colleges, excuse me, that aren't equipped with enough people in these departments to be able to put out this type of content. And biggest thing here is unofficial visits, completely different than an official visit on campus, unofficial visit if you had a five-star player come to town and he brings his two buddies that play on his high school team, well, that five-star wants his two buddies on the high school team to also get the same treatment. So he wants them to get full geared up and do photo shoots and whatnot and act like they're, they're going to be recruited or play for that school. So it adds up and adds up. And when you have, you know, I talked to the one power five uh, SID told me, you know, when you have 30 unofficial visitors coming in town and you're working on their schedule, really, you have to think about what these these content creators are dealing with um, in, in terms of their time. But then also turn around and going to shoot the, the basketball game, the football game, the track and field event, 
It's not like these departments are just stacked with people to do this. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that stood out to me and the amount of money as well. If you're at a Sunbelt school or something along those lines, you know, entry to that type of job is like $25,000. Um, and, and it goes all the way up. If you're a power five school and you're one of the full-time photographers or content creators for college football, which is such a massive part of college athletics is these videos and the content and recruiting, you know, they're making around $50,000 a year, but they're working 95 hours a week. So you take out the unofficial visits, Chad cuts way down on their workload that can focus more uh, on, on, on the bigger things that matter besides some two-star recruit that's never going to play at your school, but he wants photos to put on social media for a day. Trey Wallace with us, Outkick.com is where you can find uh, his reporting. Uh, and uh, Trey, you've got plenty to discuss this upcoming weekend in the top 25 and beyond. Uh, let's see, uh, LSU, Missouri, Oklahoma takes on Texas. You have uh, Alabama, Texas A&M, Georgia and Kentucky, Louisville and, and Notre Dame. Favorite matchup, most intriguing and why? Oh, man, Jonathan, you give me that list, bro. Now you want me to narrow it down to favorite. Um, I, I think we I think we all might be uh, agreeing here. Can I can I give you uh, one? Can I serve you up here, Trey? A little more specificity up, for you. Um, I am fascinated by LSU, Missouri. Yes, that's my there it is. Uh, that's 11 a.m. Central time kickoff. And just what this win could mean for Missouri and that if they win this game, they are going to have a blow-the-doors-out success of a season. And think Pretty about much regardless of what happens, it feels like their season is, is a success. And on the flip side, LSU season is an abject failure with a loss on Saturday. Well, and, and let's just pair this, too. If they win, if Missouri wins, Kentucky takes on Georgia, feeling like they're ready to compete there. I don't know if they are. We'll find out, but... That also pairs with the Missouri win. I picked. I'm picking Missouri. To, I'm already taking Missouri to beat LSU this okay. weekend. All right, straight up beating them. I think Brady Cook can go off in this game. I think. I think Eli Drinkwitz is pouring over the tape. You know what Lane Kiffin did last week to that LSU secondary. I think you're going to see stuff like that this week. Um, I think that. LSU's going in one direction. Missouri's trying to go in this other direction. I agree with both of you, and I think Missouri is the one that benefits from an 11 a.m. kickoff. I think the home crowd. I, I just – I don't trust LSU right now. I don't trust their defense. I trust Jaden Daniels to be able to score some points, but I, I don't trust that they can keep up with what maybe Missouri's going to try to do on offense this weekend. So I'm taking Missouri in that game, and I, I – what, they'll be 6-0 and if they win that game, which is – Kind of mind-boggling, and then you you know you made the correlation, and you're correct. That matchup Saturday night in Athens, it reminds me of 2021 Kentucky Georgia, where Kentucky was rolling, played Georgia, things kind of go in the opposite direction after that. But this year's team, if they can run the football, if Devin Leary can, you know, he's going to have to pass him. We only threw it nine times last week against Florida, but if quarterback Devin Leary from from Kentucky can find some success. We have seen Georgia's offense struggle sure. in the first half of games. I'm not saying Kentucky's going to win this game. I'm just saying Mark Stoops is 0-10 against the Bulldogs. This might be one of his best opportunities to actually grab a win. And we have seen teams, by the way, go into Athens. Not many, 
but go into Athens and pull off a win. I think everybody remembers a couple of years ago, South Carolina went into Athens, uh, Blankenship missed that field goal at the end of the game. Carolina wins. I'm just, I'm just saying, watch out for Kentucky Saturday night. They have some momentum. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I think it will be a tight game going into the fourth quarter. And Chad, the different, we were in Athens for that game. Yeah. Uh, with Outkick uh, the tailgate. That's a good barbecue yep. that morning. No, no doubt uh, that morning. Yeah. Very yeah. early. Uh, <laughs> And late night. <laughs> Nothing uh, like brisket at uh, 7 a.m., um, Trey. But that, that was nuts. <laughs> the vibe, though, that day was this is not the right timing for Kentucky. Right. This feels like it could be. When you look at the two SEC matchups for Georgia so far, Carson Beck, to his credit, has played well in the second half and has led the offense to go get points and go win. But this, this is a Kentucky team that can run the football extremely well, and the quarterback play has been far better with the coordinator that's now back. I think Georgia destroys Kentucky uh, Saturday, quite frankly. I, I don't think this one's yeah. going to be close. I think this is going to be a wake-up call You think this for is Kentucky, Alabama and I, I think this is Georgia's awakening in this game also. We'll, we'll see. Kentucky's been a nice story, much like Missouri. Um, Texas A&M, yeah. you know, we kind of forgot about them a little bit because of one bad second half in Miami. They look better with Max Johnson right now at, at quarterback, Trey. They're a one-point home underdog. To Alabama on Saturday, what a mammoth game for both teams! Uh, for A and M to possibly reach the loftiest of expectations they would have expected this year, and for Alabama to stay right on track to win the SEC West. Chad, twenty twenty one, Texas A and M beats Alabama at home. Twenty twenty two, they have a chance to win it at the four yard line going yep. in. They can't convert. I'm saying with is, a five and seventeen, by the way, a year ago with right. a five and seventeen, they had a chance to win on the road at Alabama. Exactly, and I think you've got a quarterback now. Connor Wagman was a quarterback because he could scramble outside the pocket and do a couple things in this Bobby Petrino offense. Max Johnson's a quarterback that can sit in the pocket and pick you off, and I think that's what benefits Texas A&M this weekend. I think that you look at the Alabama secondary. You go back and look what Texas did. Ole Miss didn't have much success, but Ole Miss went away from what they, they should have done when it came to a game plan on offense. Um, I just – look, this is the type of game where it's early, by the way. Uh, it's an early kickoff in College Station. It's a game where Texas A&M, if they can establish the run – I think that's going to cause a lot of problems for the Alabama defense. Like, you know, we've seen, you know, like we we watched them play Texas and, and we saw what happened there with Quinn Ewers going off. And then we watched them play Ole Miss and you're like, okay, that was not what Lane Kiffin was supposed to do. I think he would even recognize that on offense. And then Mississippi State, which doesn't really throw the ball anymore with Will Rogers, one of the best quarterbacks in the, the Southeastern Conference. Now you got A&M. You know Bobby Petrino and, and, and Jimbo are going to try anything and everything they can to throw at Nick Saban, and, and I think they could catch him off guard. This feels like the game that Alabama loses. This feels like where Texas A&M finally takes advantage of what they should have done last year when they were in that great spot and get a win at home, and now we're not talking about Jimbo Fisher in a buyout anymore. You know, We're talking about Jimbo Fisher leading the SEC West with, you know, potential to to make it to Atlanta. I, I just this is not years past, boys, where I'm saying Alabama's gonna go in there and that's fine. They're gonna beat Texas AM. No, 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 no. This game has been too close over the last couple of years to make me think Alabama's gonna do that. And and to be honest with you, I'm taking Texas AM on Saturday. 
Trey Wallace, you can read all of his coverage. Follow along at Trey Wallace underscore on social. Also, outkick.com is where you find all of his great work. Trey, thank you so much, man. Enjoy the college football weekend. Can't wait to catch up next week. Guys, have a great weekend. Thanks so much. Thanks, Trey. I'm Trey Wallace. Tried to cram as much as we could into there, college football-wise, with Trey. Didn't even get to the Red River shootout. Yeah, and in the fact, you mentioned That's, teams that we've overlooked. Oklahoma has yet to be discussed, hey, and here is their opportunity. If they're in the SEC this season, they might be the two best teams in the SEC right yeah, now. They're definitely absolutely. two of the best three with Georgia as of this point in the season. Georgia has But the you best might wins. be watching one and two. Georgia might be third. The in, in the SEC of Texas and Oklahoma. Texas are there. beating Bama, of course, puts them on, on that the road. on a shelf. Yeah. On the road, yeah. But Georgia, with the way they've won two, South Carolina and Auburn, it's uh it's a great debate to have. I, I have a feeling that all changes Saturday night. I think Georgia night game at home. I don't think Kentucky's offense is as good as they showed against Florida. The fact that it's even a discussion is crazy to me. All Bulldogs in that one. More headlines coming up, including Major League Baseball and the broom next. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Chad, we uh, ended the discussion about Texas and Oklahoma. Do you think there are Big 12 representatives at that game this weekend? Great question. That's kind of a sayonara to the no, two like, schools, you mean? Th- th- their, their nightmare is having both of them. I mean, we're on pace for both of them to play for the title game and the winner to the playoff. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, th- there's going to be someone there from the Big 12, I think. I, man, That's a good question, though. I mean, maybe the, the rules official? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. There, there's some bitterness for sure. Yeah, may- maybe not. Maybe they uh, decide to go to Lubbock. Remember the whole speech from uh, Your Brett Mark. Yormark about, yeah. about, hey, yeah. when that Texas Longhorns team comes to Lubbock this year, you know what to do. What's the next best game? Maybe they just take one of the, they go to one of the games of the Pac-12 moving in. Yeah, I never know like what, you know, for a commissioner, what their responsibility should be in terms of where they go each week. If they're going to a game, they're not always going to games too. TCU, Iowa State, um, <laughs> Just looking through some of the other matchups, they've got uh, UCF and Kansas. UCF and Kansas. UCF's a two-point favorite. Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU, Iowa State. You know, maybe they'll uh, go for the the double dip and go to K State, Oklahoma State on Friday night. Maybe, maybe so. And then uh, go from Stillwater over to Waco. Maybe Texas uh, Tech, Baylor. That'd if it be my got guess. out, there are no Big Twelve officials there. Yes, absolutely yes. Greg Sankey should be in attendance for the Red River, River Shootout. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> if they could get an in-game interview <laughs> on the broadcast with Greg Sankey, and, and if he was talking about the two teams like they're already in the SEC, well, guys, I think we're probably deserving a three of the four playoff spots I mean, when you think about these two programs and Georgia and Alabama and what they've accomplished. Like, he's already petitioning <laughs> – for those two teams like they're in it's the SEC. It's an early kickoff, so you can leave at halftime and then make it to uh, College Station. You know, and then I love you, it. you'd be there for uh, – and then you could do the, the three-pack. You could end up in Athens. Yeah, Dallas uh, from the Texas State Fair over to College Station. Problem is it's, two, it's 11 a.m. Central, 2.30 Central. So you could go to a half. Yeah. And then probably make it leave over. Leave at halftime. Yeah. And then 
end up in Athens that night. What a day for Greg Sankey. I, I, I think what I'm we jealous. just did here is what we planned his itinerary for Saturday. I would be I would be in Dallas. And maybe he goes to Stillwater for Oklahoma State and K-State the night before and just decides to take them to the SEC also. Just real <laughs> – that's a very productive weekend for Greg Sankey in the SEC. Chad, um, so your Braves end up with Philly, the one of the of the options you didn't want the Phillies. Uh, I hate it. And, and I'm watching Philly and the Marlins or and their clutch little hits back and yeah. forth and the energy of that Philly fan base and the crowd, and I'm getting sick to my stomach. Collins Marlins did nothing to help me out in this whole deal. At least push them for one more game. Tax the, the pitching staff a little bit. They did none of that. Uh, I'm not feeling great about Braves Phillies. First time in MLB history we've seen four sweeps. Uh, in a single round of the playoffs and the, get the broom the wild card series with the twins rangers diamondbacks and phillies and the rangers now get the orioles in the series it, it there. is the worst case i say that jokingly but for the teams that after 162 yeah. games earn the right especially the two that got the buys in each each uh each league and i'm talking dodgers braves national league orioles astros in the american league this is the worst-case scenario for them because not only was it two and not three games, but none of the bullpens were taxed at all. You've got fresh arms, the way these That's, series went down, yeah. going into this series. And so, the not great. Not great. All these teams. I saw where – I haven't seen if they did it, but the Braves were talking about a year ago they felt like they walked into that division series not fully prepared because they had some time off between the end of the regular season, not playing meaningful games down the stretch. And then going into that series, and they felt like the, the, the Phillies had a better edge about them. I, I don't know if they've done this. They were talking about opening it up to the public and letting fans come in for uh, inter-squad games against each other. So they would play actual games against the other. How long have they been off now? Because of the oh, they fast played pace. on they, Sunday. So but they starting, play Saturday now. Starting on like Wednesday of last week or third. No, starting with the national series, they would pull starters after an inning to give them rest. So they'd have their okay. start streak alive, and then after one at-bat, they'd come out. And they kind of strategically did it with Olsen, Acuna, Albies, all the stars, Riley. They did it in different games at different times. They knew they were coming out early of the game. So they lost two out of three to the Nationals because they were playing AAA guys the whole time. I still believe in the Braves. Oh, look, I believe I, that offense. They're – and I, I'm, Michael McHenry does too, I know. Yeah. The power rankings. It's a special group, and I think that team has something special. I, I'm i just worried because, A, I saw it last year, so recency bias. I've seen the Phillies eliminate the Braves from the postseason, last season. Um, those Phillies players too, they've got a bit of a clutch gene about them, some of those guys in that lineup. The so, organization certainly does. Yeah. I'm, it's going to be a good series. This is the dream matchup, I think, if you wanted, you know, the best, the most pizzazz for a division series, playoff series, it's Braves-Phillies. Uh, just going back real quick, Davey Hudson brings up a great point. Colorado plays at Arizona State, and you've got both of those teams joining the Big 12. Maybe you send Big 12 representatives to that game. Yeah. Would I would be, do the troll job, good. the epic troll job there. Also, I don't think Texas and Oklahoma care one bit. The only thing they're going to care about is if they get in a game against someone and they feel like they're getting hosed by the officials. Although they, they've referenced Then they, that's when they, it's going to come up. At least Texas has acknowledged it. You know, the, the, the bullseye, and they're on the, the final you know, march towards the SEC, the final year in the Big yeah. 12. Sarkeesian said that uh, preseason. Um, what a, I mean, it's a nightmare scenario, though, to have 
Texas Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game in the final year. It's only going to rear its ugly head if, uh, sort of like Sauce Gardner with the Swifties, yeah, yeah. if they feel like they're getting a raw deal because of that and that the game is terribly officiated and it's slanted towards another team. If that happens, then you're going to have Texas and Oklahoma questioning whether or not they're getting a fair shake from the Big 12. But as far as, you know, oh, it's everybody's Super Bowl, Texas and Oklahoma are always the Super Bowl for teams in the Big 12. Yeah, but those they, are two huge, high-profile programs. They are, that but but they were. It's not like you're going to sleepwalk through one of those games no, against no, no, those teams. No, but but the Big Twelve could at least point to the fact that they've had the other programs reach their Texas and Oklahoma fell back, but at least you've got Kansas State and TCU. Kansas is even hosting game day a year ago. Yeah, you know, you've got different options. Plus, you're bringing in Houston and 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 others. You're trying to say, hey, like we, this is the new era. And we're on par with what we're losing, at least optically, monetarily. No, we know that. I, but what the Big 12 has done is smart, and they're certainly safe, and they're going to be functional because they, those programs. They're stable. They've done a great job. But I have a hard time getting really excited about watching a lot of what's going to transpire in the Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma leave outside of Coach Prime in Colorado when he comes in. But, but what a, and that was the first move. Yeah. You know, that was... Well, I'm just looking around the conference. Kansas yeah, has been a nice story. I, I agree with you. But there's a reason Lance Leipold is listed as one of the two top candidates to leave for Michigan State because Kansas football. Kansas State, they had high aspirations this year. They lose at Missouri, granted, by a 61-yard field goal yeah. as time expired. Um, I think they're still a good team. Baylor's disappointing under Dave Aranda. Oklahoma State looks like a shell of itself. Maybe Mike Gundy needs to not cut even the, a, not cut even the a, mullet. A thought in at the discussion. At some point, they lose badly to South Alabama at home. Um, I just look at the rest of the you're, conference, you're right. and I'm thinking, am I excited about UCF Kansas as a Big 12 no. matchup when Cincinnati and BYU play in the Big 12? Does that get the blood pumping? Nope. You know who gets the blood pumping? Red River Shootout. Texas, Oklahoma. That gets the blood going. Colorado coming in the conference. All right, now you've got my attention. Some, you of, these other, some of these other programs, it's you love nice. The hype with Colorado, but you also, we're already seeing uh, discussion about Dion's contract and how much longer he's willing to wait based on what he's getting paid there. It's very conditional, the future Big 12. What I mean by that is it's never conditional on interest in Texas and Oklahoma because if they're good, it's what's expected. When they're bad, everyone's talking about how on earth is Texas this bad or how on earth is Oklahoma this bad. Brent Venables in year one, disappointment. Everybody's talking about that. It's not, it, it's not conditional on them raising up and upsetting someone. Kansas football is conditional. When they were good a year ago, we'd pay attention and watch an 11 a.m. game against TCU. By the time it got to week five, yeah. Yes, yeah, they, yes. they had the game day game, I think, against TCU and lost a close one at home. And then it was, okay, that was a nice story. I feel that way kind of about the rest of the conference now. Conditional outside of, really, Deion Sanders and the interest in Colorado. Uh, apparently, uh, Stephen A. Smith didn't have interest in asking Commissioner Rob Manfred about uh, the Trevor Bauer uh, news. Instead, uh, focused on diversity within the league and did not mention uh, Bauer at all in a conversation that he had with the MLB commissioner. And this is the commissioner that put and placed a Bauer on administrative leave that ended up what was over a 300 game suspension that was reduced down to 160 roughly games. And he got money back on the games that he wasn't paid for on, on that suspension 
based on the independent arbitration ruling. Um, Chad, asking the commissioner about anything you want is fine. But on a day where you have the Bauer news, you know, the couple days here where it's at the top of the Major League Baseball headlines, that's something that has to be discussed. And Stephen A. Smith doesn't strike me as someone who's accepting an interview on conditions that he cannot ask certain questions. Yeah, speaking on conditions, it's very disappointing because this is one, and I'm glad you brought that up, Hutton, because my first thought was, Maybe Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred said, I can't talk about this yeah. legally right now. We're not going to do an interview like that on this show. So you Being can't, told what we can and can't ask. Yeah, so if he comes back and says, you know, I'm not going to answer it or don't ask it, and then I'll do the interview. If ESPN agreed to that, well, shame on ESPN. Well, but that would be Stephen A. Smith. Stephen or A. Smith, Stephen a. Smith, Stephen a. Smith would have the final ruling. But I, it, here's, here would be the main point on it. It's such a glaring omission to not ask the biggest topic that's out there. Stephen A. Smith, who's so transparent on everything he does, he needs to come out and explain why he didn't. If that was a Stephen A. Smith editorial de decision not to do it, tell us why. Like, it's so bad to miss that opportunity, Hutton. It needs explanation. Hell, I demand explanation as to why you didn't ask it. And if you want to come back and say it was a, it was a part of ESPN's agreement with Major League Baseball as a carrier of the playoffs, we're airing all these playoff games – and they wanted us to interview Rob Manfred, and as a partner of ESPN, they said we couldn't ask about Trevor Bauer. Okay, that at least let Stephen A. Smith off the hook because we know these networks are on the take, and they say and do certain things about certain leagues and not others. Lee Corso making fun of Washington State and Oregon State is a great example. He's not talking about the nobody wants us bowl on a game ESPN's airing or that nobody watches us. This stuff happens all the time. But that's such a glaring omission. He needs to explain himself. Yeah, and I, 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 actually, I think he just didn't want to ask it. Honestly, I actually give him the benefit of the doubt here because I, this is a topic that Stephen A. Smith would be discussing uh, if Major League Baseball, if Manfred said, "I'm not going to be asked about Bauer," that would be a segment on his show, uh, and he would. He's he's not going to be someone at the network that's going to be told what he can and cannot say or ask. Period. I mean, that, that's evident then, based on what he's willing to discuss on his own podcast. And I'm sure he will. Then why did he not ask it? That's what I want him to say. Because it's yeah. such a bad mistake. This is my point. It's somebody's fault. Either it's ESPN well, ultimately for it's being... it's on him for not asking it. It's either ESPN for being weak and demanding he do that. And if so, then somebody needs to say that. But if it's him just missing the opportunity, I want to understand why and how that could be possible. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the companies across wherever bow to tech the big tech and, and media and and leagues that they're in partnership with absolutely so i mean but but stephen a doesn't strike me as someone that's going to sit down with manfred or any commissioner and have something that's totally off the table that is the news uh, that is pressing based on the guy that's sitting across from him being the sole yeah. decision maker on that list that well, it's on. such a, it's again it's such a big miss i think that they owe everyone yeah. an explanation that's my only point i i don't i don't know i don't know if stephen a smith doesn't believe trevor bauer or isn't interested in it or what but it's such a big story that it's weird that he would miss his chance to ask rob man for the question so i'd love it if stephen a smith or someone else explained themselves yep. but what will likely happen is silence that's the story of the day yeah. silence well, silence. Join us in the YouTube chat. You can break the silence there and uh, discuss your thoughts. It's always loud in the YouTube That's chat. That's right. Headlines next, including the NCA's comments on UNC. 
and how they handled the Tez Walker situation next.